Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to this episode of the podcast. Really excited to bring you guys this episode because the, the roles are kind of reversed on this episode. I'm picking somebody's brain about hunting over east versus uh, most of the guys are wanting to figure out how to come over west. So for us guys over here on the west side, this is going to be a really great episode. And even for the guys over on the east side, if you guys are looking at hunting different states for whitetails and what kind of opportunities there are, uh, Aaron from the Hunting Public has a really good insight, from, especially from their deer and turkey tour uh, that they do. He's got a lot of really good information and knows what states uh, hold the best opportunity for public land hunters out there. And for somebody like me that wants to eventually go over there someday, hopefully you know next year actually, uh, it's going to be a really great episode. Uh, Aaron has also been part of the team of the hunting public that has grown since like 2017 just to now. They're, I think they're over 90,000 subscribers on YouTube and they've really hit the ground running. So from somebody that's trying to grow in the industry as myself, it was a really valuable conversation being able to find out what he's doing or what they've done to, give, to be able to just really hit the ground running. So a lot of great topics and areas that we cover in this one. Really appreciate Aaron and his time because I know he's a super busy guy. And I hope you guys really enjoy this one too. I'll see you in the end. Bye. All right, well, dude, let's get this thing going, man. So uh, you're more of an Eastern guy. Well, you are an Eastern guy um, or a Central guy. And uh, I don't think a lot of guys in my area probably know of you guys just because it's just a different demographic that you guys are hitting. Sure. Um, so why don't we start off with a, with an introduction here? Yeah, I was born and raised in northeast Missouri in a little bitty small town called Paris. I graduated high school with... 34 people i think so real really? yeah real small redneck town and did you know hunting and fishing my whole life basically started at a very very young age in the woods and started toting around a video camera felt trying to film our whitetail hunts and our turkey hunts when i was 10 years old we stole my aunt's camera out of the closet and she wasn't very happy about that and then we went out and <laughs> went out and started filming stuff and uh eventually just figured that might as well try to do that for a living someday and started working towards it, I guess. Well, I'd say successfully, <laughs> uh, you guys have, would you say you came out in what, 2017, right? Yep. Yeah. That's when we started the hunting public, but, uh, we'd all had experience in digital content within the hunting industry prior to that. Oh, okay. Yep. Well, that, that brings me to the next point is who's all part of your, of your crew here? Cause I was watching some of your YouTube videos and it was, man, it felt like I was watching somebody different. Um, every episode that I watched. Right. Yeah. There's three owners, myself, Greg Clements and Zach Farrenbaugh own uh, THP, the hunting public. And then we have uh, a larger group than that. We have some of our friends and family that hunt and film with us. And then uh, Ted and Logan and Jake are, are well, Jake's one of our employees, and then Ted and Logan were our interns this last year. And those guys are also hmm. on camera a bunch and filming and editing and doing all kinds of stuff. So we've, we've got a base group of six, but, like, we run around and do collaborations with other YouTubers and other friends, like I mentioned, so. Lots of folks pop up on the channel. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Because uh, you guys were, I was just following your Instagram. You guys were hunting, in, I think, in Arizona with, was it Gritty? Um, or somebody was hunting in Arizona, I think, from your from your group. Yep, that was me and Greg. Um, we were down there hunting, oh, with, right on. hunting with Arizona Game and Fish and Randy Newberg, the Hush guys, uh, Brian Call, and then uh, Ryan Lampers. Sam Soholt was also a, there. It was a it was a great group. That's a solid group of guys. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a that's a really solid group of guys. Uh, so tell me about the inception of of the hunting public. So you had a couple buddies. Um, you grew up filming your stuff, and then you just decided, okay, now's the time that we're going to start this thing, and and just went into it head first, or what happened there? No, I mean, like I mentioned, we'd all been kind of working in digital content for a while. I used to work for a company called Midwest Whitetail, who uh, produced a lot of content. I think that they were actually the first semi-live online hunting show back in 2008. And uh, I came on and worked with them for a few years. And, uh, you know, eventually we got this idea down the road, right, right about the time we started the hunting public, we kind of realized that we, we'd been hunting public land and filming on public land for quite some time. By that point, that was really the only place that we could, that we could hunt, you know, in Southern Iowa, there wasn't much private land open for hunting just because a lot of it Mm -hmm. has been leased or bought or whatever. And so we were hunting public land for the most part and really enjoying it. So, uh, and notice that people seem to like those videos that we produced from public land, especially when we were showing the social aspect of like deer camp, because we all hunt as a team, we hunt as a group and try to communicate with one another to help, you know, I guess the group's overall success. So that's kind of where the idea came from. We realized that, uh, the hunting world, so to speak, needed something like that. And that was right up our alley. I mean, that's what we grew up doing and what we eventually progressed into as adults was filming and hunting as a group on public land and just trying to have as much fun as you can. So for sure, that's, that's where the idea sort of came from. That, that makes a lot of sense. Well, with uh, with over where your guys at, and I'm just talking from from hearsay because I don't have any experience over there. It sounds like public lands can be a lot bigger of an issue and a lot more vital. Um, oh yeah, because of so much being private. Right. There's not a ton of public land, especially now. It's it's actually on very low totem pole as far as uh, public land percentage ownership in the state. There's not very much at all. Mm. However. That's there crazy. Is, and we feel like, you know, with the access problems and the recruitment problems that hunters face anymore, we feel like that public land is an underutilized resource as far as adding new hunters and, you know, using it to be successful. And that's what we try to show folks is that you can go out and you can have a good experience on public land just about anywhere across the whitetail or turkeys range, you know, and, uh, we use that as leverage to get more people out in the woods. Makes sense. Well, would, uh, cause I know here filming and stuff and, and seeing what some of the bro guys go through. Um, what kind of challenges do you have filming on public land where it's much more sparse over there? And then also, cause I know it's a double edged sword cause some guys might get pissed off about, 
dude, you're showing my area or, Hey, I hunt there. Or, you know, do you guys get any of that? Cause I know over here, um, even with some of the posts that I've done, it's like, dude, why you, why you, why you doing that? Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's my spot. You get some pushback, um, from, you know, individuals and on their, you know, the whole my spot thing we could, yeah. and I'm sure we could have more success more individual success if we didn't share our hunts if we didn't film and didn't talk about where we were hunting because then you know you keep your spot a secret and you continue to hunt it and have success but the problem with that is if everybody does that on public land then you're you know it's not public land anymore <laughs> it, it's just becoming right. you know my spot or your spot when in reality it's public land, it's our spot, you know, now granted yeah, that, we're, we're going through the work at that particular day or time frame to go in there and try to figure these deer out. But that's not to say that somebody else can't go and do the same exact thing. You know, and we actually, we're actually trying to encourage that. So where we might have a couple people get fussy about us producing one video on a particular area that they deem as theirs, you know, a lot of people mm -hmm. are benefiting from seeing that video, just seeing the process and how we go about trying to figure things out. It gives them, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the big picture philosophy that we try to have all the time. It's like when we launch one of these videos from public land, are we helping or hurting people as a whole? And we mm -hmm. feel like we're helping them because we're, giving I, them hope that they can actually go out to their public land in their neighborhood and have success or just have a good time in general. And they can actually work together well, with I, the other people that are out there. To have a positive for sure. Experience. And I, I would have to, I'd have to pretty much agree total heartedly with that because I know for a lot of guys, it's really empowering to see, um, you know, you guys go out and for a guy like me that wants to eventually hunt whitetails, go out and hunt, spots you guys pretty much have never hunted before and then be able to get into a deer it makes it easier for me to pull the trigger on those trips that are kind of voodoo um like i wouldn't even know where to start but after just watching a few of your guys's episodes you know it kind of gave me the belief that hey maybe i can go over there and find you know public ground because from from my perspective I, I thought it was pretty much all landlocked or private like texas and and stuff and it's just that's just not the case yeah there's definitely public ground you know and good successful opportunities to be had and we don't try to pretend to be experts by any means we're just lucky enough to be in a situation where we can spend more time out there than the average person so we right. try to show as much of that as possible we kind of feel like that's in order for us to be in this situation we feel like it's kind of our i guess you could say duty or whatever to give back to everyone by showing them the content, by showing them all the videos that, you know, we create out there in, ex in exchange for being fortunate enough to, to hunt more than the average guy. So we just try to show people everything, you know, every hunt, whether we have success or failure, we try to show the whole thing warts and all, and hopefully they'll learn as we learn in the videos through our, you know, mistakes and very, very sparse successes, I guess. <laughs> that, that, uh, reminds me of the first episode I watched of you guys. Um, it just popped in my feed 
and uh, it was, I think, BMAC from Hushin, and uh, he shot this whitetail, and then didn't go his way. I mean, he didn't. I don't. I, I don't think I saw the episode if he found it or not. I don't think. I don't think he did. Um, but you guys, after he left, you guys kept looking. You guys used your time to fill your own tags looking for his, and I'm like, that really turned me on to what you guys were about and what kind of character you guys had because you guys could have easily just said, well, let's go fill our tags, you know, and. And uh, that's really, honestly, the the really what turned me on to you guys was the number one thing is like just seeing that right there. Um, that that's that what made that's what made me keep watching you guys and, and really start to follow you guys as as a channel. And uh, uh, I just think guys really like that stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's just the honest truth of what goes on. We try to be as transparent as we can on those deals and just show what all goes into a, a given hunt or a given situation like that. Yeah. Well, and, and I know that it sucks for BMAC and, and the Hushing crew in general, cause I know that they've really been working on their, um, bow shooting capabilities, their form, oh, their, yeah. you know, their sh- shot execution. And then I was just, I was just so pumped to see, you know, the success that they've had this year. And then it still shows you, you know, s- stuff can go wrong, man. Even if you practice all the time and you have a great shot execution, Stuff, stuff can go wrong. You're making so many split-second decisions going into that shot that, you know, shit's going to happen eventually. Oh, without a doubt. If you shoot enough stuff as it's they do. It's certainly going yeah. to. So that that just, you know, and I feel like people can relate to that when you show them that. Some folks will get bent out mm-hmm. of shape, but that's right. That's just the nature of it, of what goes on. What's bow hunting? Well, well, I think the ones that are getting bent, just from my experiences or the ones who aren't having those experiences who aren't getting it done or haven't hunted as much. Cause the guys that, that have had those experiences that have, you know, have hunted a lot and put enough animals on the ground, they know shit happens. Right. And I just, it just seems like the more unexperienced guys are the ones that, you know, maybe haven't lost a deer yet. You know, they've shot five or six deer with their bow and they haven't lost one yet. And they're, you know, <laughs> their shit doesn't stink yet. Right. And eventually, you know, eventually it's going to happen. I mean, you can be the best shot in the world and, and something can jump your string or you, you just never know. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, I, I really am interested because this podcast um, has kind of its own little niche of helping guys break into the industry or learn a little bit more about the business aspect of it. And I can't think of anybody better to talk to from, I would consider you guys still pretty, you know, THP pretty new into the industry since you started in 2017 what would be some reasons that you think that you guys have managed to grow and forgive me if my figures are off but last time i watched your channel i think you guys were around 90,000 subscribers which it it just dumbfounds me it's like man you know i because i've had a youtube channel i think since 2016 and uh steady growth but nothing like that well there's there's i guess there's somewhat method to the madness but uh it's more so just cranking a lot of videos. We hmm. were out there all the time. So we're trying to turn out as much content as we can. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a, there's a wide variety of ways that you can do it across these digital platforms with YouTube. And in the way that it's algorithm works, you need to be consistently posting relevant content to the audience that you're trying to reach 
whether that's once a week or once a month or twice a week or five days a week, it all kind of depends on your brand and what you're, what you're, you know, capable of doing. But Mm -hmm. with us, we're, we're always, I guess we were kind of built from the get go to create content on the fly, sort of like the daily video type style. Mm-hmm. So we've been looking for ways to translate that into the vlog style videos and, you know, sort of have a story to your entire season just in a day by day format. And that's kind of what we've done with the Turkey tour and then our, our public land deer tour and stuff this last fall is, you know, we'll go on a, on a trip say the first first one of the deer tour we went to kentucky and we were hunting there for five days and we've got you know four or five videos from that five-day hunt so as Mm -hmm. soon as we're filming a video we're one of us is going to mcdonald's or a library somewhere or a motel or the front seat of a pickup and then we're editing that video right then and there and then posting it as soon as we can that way we can help people you know understand what's going on in that. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. It seems like a lot of guys don't upload enough. And for, from what I've seen in my experiences on YouTube, it seems like frequency is the, it, you know, having good content, but frequency, man, that goes a long ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You gotta have, you gotta have a nice mixture there because you can't sacrifice the quality for frequent frequency. You know, if we went to seven days a week uploading content, I know for a fact that the quality would go in the tank just because <laughs> we can't physically work any faster than what we're, right. what we're trying to do. But I don't know. We found sort of a nice balance within our group and kind of know what we're capable of doing, how much time a video will take to edit and we all can edit. So it's really, we just take turns when we're on one of those trips, there's probably three of us in the field or three of us on the trip and two of us will be in the field and the other guy will be editing. And then we'll just sort of rotate around like that the entire time so that everybody gets enough rest and keeps content cranking out. It makes for a, it, it, it makes for a a long trip sometimes as far as work is concerned, but then Mm -hmm. after the fact you, you have all the videos done. So you've already went through the painful part of it, of doing all the editing while you were on the trip and then you can get home and relax somewhat. Well, I know when I, when I edit my stuff, it seems like the, the, when I, when I do it soon after, like the more fresh it is, the the quicker and easier it is for me to edit. It's like, yep. I'm like, you know, exactly what you had in mind when you were filming it and stuff. And I don't know if that's how you, you know, your guys, but like when I do a podcast, I pretty much immediately edit it and I've gotten it down to half an hour, um, 20 minutes. I'm, I'm pretty much uploaded. I mean, it's, it's that fast and, uh, just kind of working out your system. Sometimes not, sometimes the last thing that you want to worry about after you come in from a long day of hunting or whatever it is, (laughs) but if you just kind of grit your teeth and get it done, then you don't have to worry about it anymore. So for sure, we'll have three guys that know how to edit. (laughs) I mean, having a whole crew that edits is, that's pretty badass. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of (laughs) jealous. Yeah. Um, yeah. What kind of editing stuff were you guys using? Are you guys uh, Mac users? Are you guys the uh, Adobe or what you got? We're actually Adobe Creative Cloud on Mac. But 
Oh, really? Yeah, anything would work. I mean, we used to work off PCs um, with Adobe, used to work off Macs with Final Cut. I mean, it all depends. I mean, any of it can work. It all depends on what you're comfortable with doing. You know, and there's there's a number of different ways to, to do it. Like I, like I said, you could, you could do digital content and upload videos once a week and just make them more polished. If that's what your audience is looking for and that's what works for you and your brand, then by all means do it that way. Or you can try to upload every single day as, as long as you can, you know, it all, it just all depends on what your, what your goals are and what you're capable of doing kind of what your editing style is too. You know, a lot of people want to watch that, that, uh, higher end production type stuff, that more documentary style video. And those take more time and effort to film and edit, of course. So you're not going to end up with, you know, 70 videos on a deer tour or whatever, like we're up to now, you may only have a few <laughs> dozen, but then the quality of each video is going to be substantially better because you got more time and energy to put into each one of them. So it really just kind of depends right. on who you are and what your goals are. Luckily for, for the channel that I have on YouTube, it's like just, <laughs> it, there's, it, it's not polished. Like you're saying, it's like, um, you have the, the Lunkers TV, you know, spectrum. And then you have the, uh, Jason Matzinger end of the spectrum. And they're completely two different, you know, just styles. Lunkers like every day uploading. Right. And then you got Matzinger. That's like something out of, or the Donnie Vincent, something out, straight out of a movie. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, luckily for me, I just being a small one man operation, it's like, I didn't center my stuff around the higher end. Thank God. Not only am I not detail oriented enough for that. <laughs> um, I'm just too, I'm just too ADD. I got to keep working on something new all the time. <laughs> yeah. We're so, just not patient uh, enough. <laughs> we just, yeah, that's, that's my thing. Yeah. We like to sit down and get it yeah. done and then get back out in the woods. <laughs> I know. So. Well, it's just when you have that hunt and you film it or that episode, you're like so freaking jazzed to get it out there as soon as possible. <laughs> and then it's like a fix. It's like, you're going from one fix to the next. It's like, man, I need to upload this. Oh yeah. Okay. Now I need to upload this. It's just, I don't know. It's really addicting. It really is. I mean, it's just, it's, it's like a drug just coming out with a video and then being so excited to go to the next one. Yep. But, uh, so basically I want, I want to talk about your guys's project because if you alluded to it a couple times, I didn't even know you guys did a Turkey project. Uh, but, the uh, the deer project was what what really got my attention, like I said earlier. And uh, for the guys that are over here were, that listen to my podcast, I have a few Eastern guys that I'm sure, are like, dude, we know all this stuff. We know we know of the the hunting pot, you know, the public guys. But over here in Oregon, um, I would have to probably compare it or or basically say it'd be like land of the free, but for whitetail. Yeah, yeah, I would say it's somewhat uh, similar. And we got a lot of inspiration yeah. from those guys when they did that. We was done, or I would say, always, but for the last six years, even back when we worked at Midwest Whitetail, we were cranking out daily videos, sort of like uh, mm. public land. I think back then they were called public land video blogs. 
and then eventually became public land video journals. And then there would be like day one, day two, day 47 or whatever it would be. So <laughs> we were doing that type of stuff back then. But then I watched their first year of land of the free and we were like, we need to, you know, we are already doing this for the Turkey stuff, but we need to make it more of a focused deal. Like, uh, we need to actually, because that's what I thought was really cool that they did was they actually branded the, the tour itself, so to speak. Mm -hmm. The, and so it was more of an event. It wasn't so much of just a daily blog that you followed along with, but it was, uh, an actual mm -hmm. event that you could sort of look forward to. And I think that was real smart. That's uh, pretty cool how they did that. I've been a big lane at the free fan since, since then. And that's what the turkey have tour you, uh, is too. It's similar to that, I suppose. Interesting. Have you had a chance to hunt elk? Uh, yeah, I've hunted elk uh, a few times in Arizona and in New Mexico. Oh shoot! You've done it in some of the best states in the country. <laughs> yeah, I, I filmed in New Mexico a couple times, and I filmed in Arizona a couple times, and I've bow hunted in Arizona once. Oh man, that's, that's on my list. All these guys doing the coos white tails and like right now it's like, man, you guys are hunting in sunny weather and I'm sitting in Oregon and our river just rose like six feet in two days. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed, uh, that aspect of it. Cause when I say it's like land of the free, um, I'm not taking away from any of you, you know, what you guys have done, but to get guys to understand what you guys are over here, it's just really easy to say land of the free for white tails. Oh, sure. And in the in the feel of it, it's like a bunch of buddies that, uh, and I alluded to it earlier. It's selfless. I mean, you guys are out there. I feel like it's super genuine. It's super, it's super real, man. I feel I feel like I'm watching guys that I could run out and go out and run into the woods, you know, like with and. Yeah, that's kind uh, of who just, we are. Just that's every, who everyday people. Been. Just your regular yeah. dudes that like to go out in the woods and have a good time. So we, For sure. you know, it's not, it's, it's worked, I guess, if, as far as like the amount of people that view it, but we don't really think of it mm -hmm. that way. We just think of it like, well, we're going to the woods today. Hopefully somebody gets into something and if they do, we're going to be pretty pumped about it, <laughs> you know, and then we just try to <laughs> try to film the whole thing. I guess uh, you could say as honestly as possible. We're not real competitive right. guys. We care less who shoots a buck or how big it is or if they even shoot a buck. Just that's right. the main thing. Well, it's just that. having a good experience. Well, what really opened my eyes um, to you guys, and actually one of the patrons of the show uh, wants me to ask you guys about spotting and stalking for whitetail. But after watching, I think it was Zach spot and stalk that whitetail and shoot it from like, I think it was like 20 yards or something right after a truck drove by. Yep. Um, and he said that was the first time he's ever done that. I mean, do you guys get to spot and stalk whitetail that much over there? Yeah, we do every once in a while. He was in Nebraska in open terrain. So it was kind of like a Western whitetail setup where he did that. Um, but hmm. you know, we have done it some back in the Midwestern States you know, like Ohio, we, and we had some luck doing it this year in Iowa as well. And, uh, yeah, it certainly works if you've got the right conditions. We actually just did nothing but spot and stalk this past week down in Southern Arizona. We were hunting Tuesday down there. 
Mm. You know, those and yeah, I imagine which is you know pretty much your best way to go when you're hunting western deer. But yeah, we have mm. we certainly have luck doing it in in Iowa every once in a while. Just just kind of depends on the situation, though. We try to have a variety of different tactics for you know different situations. If it's wet and windy, for example, then it's much easier to get away with spotting and stalking through timber or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, especially when it comes to whitetails and thicker habitat like we've got in the Midwest or out east. You know, if you've got a real still morning and it's crunchy out, you're not going to be able to make it very far <laughs> without right. them hearing you and the jig being up. Well, one thing that I've seen um, from following, you know, guys that hunt whitetail and stuff and uh, haven't really had a chance to talk to anybody about it is, I don't know if you know much about our blacktail over here and even our, our whitetail over here. Um, we've got two species of whitetail and um, we've got blacktail, which uh, is a cousin to one of the species, Colombian whitetail and Colombian blacktail deer. And uh, we love to hunt when it's raining because these, these things, they love the rain. Um, and it seems like a lot of the states over there, when it's raining, um, the activity actually turns off. Is that pretty accurate? Or is that more dependent on what state you're hunting over there? Oh, I would say it's more dependent on the situation. I mean, I wouldn't, yeah, I mean, it, it can, they can definitely shut off when it rains, but I would say more of, more of a downpour or a storm type thing, a low pressure system comes through and it warms up and it's just kind of misty and. I I would say those aren't favorable conditions, but at the same time, they're still out there and they're probably doing something. So what we're trying, what we usually try to do with our, I guess you could say whitetail hunting strategy is it's all situational tactics and you basically set up your situation by the day. We always hunt bedding areas. We try to get in as tight as we can to where we suspect the deer to be bedded and then decide what is going to be your best approach for that day. Like I mentioned a while ago, if it's wet and windy, for example, you can get super, super close to the bedding. So that may negate the other factors involved with movement because, you know, if it's a crappy movement day and the deer only stands up and moves 15 yards, if you can get to that point where he stands up essentially and moves that far in daylight, you can still kill him, even if the conditions aren't that favorable for movement. So, I mean, for example, if it's hot in the summer and it's not a great movement day, but it's super, super hot and it's early season, they're going to have to probably go to water at some point. And sometimes they'll get up and they'll do it in the middle of the day even if it's, if it's hot enough. And I mean, they'll even bed closer to water. So it'll change. Those conditions may change the particular area that the buck beds in that, that day. And as you get more experience, hmm sort of reading those different situations, you can start to put the pieces together and put yourself in higher odds spots more often instead of just waiting and waiting and waiting for the right conditions to favor the deer's movement. You're more so going to him and then trying to figure out a chink in his armor for that day. Does that make sense? That that does make sense. And it's, it's, it's very usable information for hunting blacktails over here i mean same thing with with changes in weathers and stuff and and um, i've actually killed all of my a lot of my best blacktail on beautiful days when yep. no one else is out that's right you know? um it's just 
it just, uh, from what I've seen, it's like, you know, I see pictures on guys on Instagram, you know, it's raining and they're staying inside. It's like, man, you know, blacktails, everybody and their mother would, would be out right now. <laughs> and that kind of just made me wonder. I'm like, I wonder if I'm just seeing guys that aren't doing it. Cause you know, I, I'm not one of those guys that will plan my hunt around the moon or, uh, weather per se. Cause if I'm going to go hunting, I'm going to go hunting. And, uh, knowing that maybe that moon may present more of a challenge, but if I just change my tactics a little bit, I should be able to still, you know, if you know what the deer habits are going to be, then it shouldn't really matter. I mean, to a certain point. Right. Um, and we still, I mean, so, with that said, we still pay attention to all that stuff, you know, weather, especially, mm-hmm. but it's by working with situational tactics, it, it gives folks more optimism and confidence to head to the woods on the day that they can, because that's what most people are faced with is they're weekend warriors or they can get out, you know, in the evening after work, but can't ever hunt mornings and vice versa or whatever. You know, most folks only have a set amount of time that they can go and they're, they may not be that flexible with when they can or can't. So if you, mm-hmm. if you start to just use that particular day's, situation and then bend it to your advantage somehow then you'll in theory have more success i would think but yeah no for sure just being more adaptable yeah, is all that is and understanding right. adaptable yeah and just understanding yeah uh one thing i did notice is that some of you guys carry around um you know a lot of the newer gear and some of you guys are using you know older gear and I've been battling this with my, within my own head lately is because I'm kind of a gear guy and, and I've unfortunately I've built myself around that uh, being a kind of a gear tester reviewer guy and, and I like it and I enjoy it but I feel like uh, you got these guys like uh, Trent for example from Born and Raised he's not a gear guy and he goes out and he's one of the most successful elk hunters I know period yeah. along with the whole Born and Raised crew and it feels I feel like uh, and maybe you can elaborate on this because it sounds like from what you're talking about being more of a, um, animal guy than a gear guy, understanding the animal more than you would spend time on gear. And even hearing Randy Newberg talk about it, he used to be a gear guy, but then he really dug into the animal habits and then that's when he started becoming successful. And that's when, you know, putting the animal behavior and understanding the habits of the animal over the gear, I guess is what I'm talking about. So- kind of sounds like what you guys have been doing. Yeah. Woodsmanship is number one for us, regardless of everything else that you, that you have going on that thing. Woodsmanship trumps everything, at least in our, in our opinion, you know, there's more than one way to skin the cat, Mm -hmm. but, uh, that's the way we do it. Anyway, we are more worried about learning the situation, learning the, the particular area that the deer lives on and how they move throughout it and how they use it at different times of the year in different situations than we are, you know, about the boots that we're wearing or the camo pattern or whatever being scent free or any of that stuff. We just don't. And I'm not saying that there's, there's not some merit to that stuff to pay attention to. I'm just saying that we don't have time to pay attention Mm -hmm. to it. Like (laughs) we don't, if you, if you, you can only think about so many things in a given day when it comes to, to deer hunting, if you overwhelm yourself with a, a long scent control regiment, for example, then just by default, you're, 
probably not going to worry as much about woodsmanship. Right. And and those people are still well, successful. Guess, I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that 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 we're right and they're wrong. But I'm just saying that's the way we do it. We worry more about what's going on in the woods. Right. Well, I I think that there's a lot to be said about that, man. Because I've been I've been kicking this around a lot lately. Like I said, is like, man, you know, maybe I should be changing the focus of the channel. Uh, because I get a lot of newer, I think I get a lot of newer hunters or guys that are looking to get into bow hunting, um, consuming the content and, and instead of rather focusing on the gear. Cause when I go out into the woods, I'm more focused, like my gear priorities are very different than what people will probably expect. Like people will probably think the bow for me is the number one thing. Cause I'm a gear guy and it's, it's towards the bottom. And for me now, in order to get more success, now I need to start really digging into the animal behaviors, the type of, uh, feed for certain times a year and then actually getting out and finding where these animals go when they get pushed like our elk yeah um they kind of do these it's just understanding the animal being like you said having better woodsmanship instead of using the gear that i do for a crutch and, and that's what it is for a lot of times i was having a conversation with uh brian from day six here recently just kind of using you know the gear as a crutch and i say that because you know with the gear that we have nowadays sh- sh- damn you can shoot farther than you sh- than you well, just, well you can shoot a long ways and us, us us western guys do we shoot a long way sometimes and uh you know instead of in, instead of doing that kind of using that as a crutch i just i don't know i'm kind of going on 180 from what i've been doing the last few years and just hearing you talk about it kind of just is reaffirming you know maybe i should be making that transition well i would say you know just do what you what you like doing that's the main thing that we tell folks mm-hmm. regardless, you know, that who watch us and you see us either have success or failure, whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're hunting or you're running a business or whatever, just do whatever is unique and comfortable for you. Like, what do you enjoy? There are a lot of people that like to, that, you know, that are gear junkies and really get a lot out of that side of hunting and more power to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of just depends on, what you're all about when you watch those born and raised guys, for example, and landed free, those guys are all about social aspect, getting together with a group of their buddies, going hunting and protecting public lands. And that was the way that they were before they even started that whole thing, you know? So, Mm -hmm. and and that's the same way we are when you watch us on the channel. It's it's like, Mm -hmm. uh, we were our, we, this is just the people that we are. I mean, we're not trying to necessarily be, somebody different we're just trying to honestly show people how we we feel and hunt whether you know for better for worse i should say and uh Mm -hmm. i think that's when folks become the most successful when they're in the woods is whenever they figure out what works best for them you know some people sit in the same tree stand every single year and will sit there for 10 straight days from daylight (laughs) to dark and shoot a big buck i'll lose my freaking mind if i do that because i can't i don't have the patience to sit still that long you know <laughs> right so it all just it all just depends on how you want to skin the cat i guess well i mean and and, and it's also like you said individually per person because you have gear guys like aaron snyder out there who are freaking studs killing you know yeah. i don't know how many you know just with a trad bow even and he's also a gear guy but He's got the woodsmanship that you're talking about. And for me, you know, I'm not, 
I'm not, I don't want to downgrade myself on my woodsman skills. I I'm capable and very, you know, very capable in the woods, but I feel that the gear aspect of it is sufficient, more than sufficient. And my woodsmanship skills have been compromised because of the gear that I'm using and me relying on it. And, uh, I think, I just think I'm going to start making that transition into knowing your animals and, and knowing your woodsman, like you said, woodsmanship skills and what to do in the situations is going to create more opportunities now than buying, you know, accuracy through extreme spending, Right. <laughs> I guess is what I'm trying to say, you know, yep. but, um, so I, we, we've mentioned the bro guys a few times and, uh, I know that, um, I've heard them, you know, toss you guys' name around for maybe collabing next year. What what kind of opportunities uh, or what kind of chances are we going to have for seeing you guys maybe do Land of the Free with them next year for Whitetail and for Elk or something like that? What what are we looking forward to? Um, I don't know yet. I actually just got a text from Cody a couple of days ago, and I'm needing to call him back and circle up on some stuff because we're trying to plan out 2019, and I'm not sure what all is mm-hmm. in store. I'd love to get those guys out on a public land whitetail hunt. And they've mentioned a couple times on getting us out for a bear hunt or for a turkey mm-hmm. hunt or a deer hunt. And same thing with the hush crew. We're, we're just trying to kind of figure out the logistics of it, but yeah, would love to go hunting with, with those guys and have been hunting a few times. It was actually just hunting last week with the guys from hush and our good buddies mm-hmm. with them. And that's a great thing about, what uh, I guess you could say our three platforms sort of have in common on YouTube is that we're all for collaborating with other like-minded folks in the industry. Try to for sure. Try to have as much fun as possible. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so well, I I think it would be really cool to kind of have like each each crew. Um, and this was just from you know me thinking. I'm like, man, it would be cool to see. Um, the bro guys bring you guys out for elk in Oregon because that would be so different from where you guys live and then maybe have you bring them over to one of your states uh, for whitetail and then maybe have him uh, the hushing guys do something like mule deer um, you know somewhere where they like to go mule deer hunting or or coose hunting or something like that it just I don't know it'd be really cool to see uh, you guys all put something together for sure and uh I don't know. I, I was just thinking about that, and I heard I heard that might be a possibility, and I was just like, "Oh, I think it'll, I think maybe it'll cre- definitely grease happen. the wheels. I think it'll definitely happen at some point. We're just trying to figure out the logistics of when, you know. And For almost sure. got the bro guys down to go with us on this Alabama trip here not too long ago. We hunted whitetails down in Alabama, and uh, they were mm. thinking about coming down, but just had family obligations and work stuff that mm. they had to get caught up on, and we know exactly how that goes so uh, yeah we're just trying to get together on some stuff but i would definitely look for that in the future more collabs those are fun yeah well i i don't know what your guys's perspective is on that but i think right now for guys that are trying to grow their platforms uh collaborations are one of the best things you can do for growth right now it just seems like yeah that's the beauty of uh, the digital side of things you know, our industry used to be real, real competitive and in some aspects still is where folks don't like sharing, you know, info or working together because they're, they're competing. They're essentially competing businesses, but that's not really the way we see it. It's all, it's all a, a bigger picture team effort thing. 
with us. That's that we're kind of looking for. I mean, we know, we all understand that hunting is in kind of a tumultuous place right now as far as hunter recruitment goes and access. We need to all work together to mm-hmm. try to save it from going over the the edge at some point. So we're just well, hoping I, I, to do that. Right. Well, uh, I just know from from uh, seeing you know the born and raised guys and the hushing guys collaborating. It's just. I don't know, man. It just seems really cool to see the collaborations, especially when you're a fan of multiple platforms. I just feel like guys are like, holy crap. And I'm excited to see your guys' platform, knowing that you guys have hunted all sorts of different things and have filmed things. But um, I imagine that most of your guys are are east of the the Rockies uh, that consume your content. I'm just guessing. Um, It'd be really cool to just to show, you know, eastern guys and western guys the uh, comparisons of, of what the challenges are for each thing. And I kind of feel like there's this, 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 and, and not, I don't personally do it, but I kind of feel like there's this Eastern mentality of, of the Western hunters kind of looking down on them um, because they, you know, they don't do the backcountry stuff. They don't do this. They don't do that. They don't shoot far. And I feel like the Eastern guys are like, Hey, hey you know, we, we do some cool shit over here too. You know, don't, don't judge us. Cause when I talk to Eastern guys, it's like they kind of, kind of go into it like they have to justify themselves and i just don't think that's right i don't know if you've seen that no i haven't seen that um, but that's you know amongst our friendships with like randy newberg and sam soholt and mm -hmm. the hush guys and like you're saying with the born and raised crew you know we don't we don't really see that we're all the same thing we're all hunters we just do it a little bit different way wherever we're at you know when bmac came out and hunted with us this november in missouri you know, Brian from Hush, mm-hmm. he was, it, you know, it was like the moon to him because he'd never really done <laughs> rut hunting for whitetails out of a tree stand. And, right. you know, it was awesome experience. He, he had all these questions and was just so intrigued by the whole thing. And then we go out there last week and we're hunting, you know, coos and mule deer with them. And I'm sitting next to, to him and Eric and Casey on a mountain glassing for deer. And I can't see a one of them. And these guys are spotting one every five <laughs> seconds, you know, it's like, and then they start giving me tips on like how to glass and what to look for and stuff. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. I start identifying these little deer down there. So it's, you know, there's, there's tons of to learn to learn there from each other. And, uh, yeah, I think it's just awesome if you love to hunt just to kind of expand your horizons a little bit and try some new stuff as you go. Because you can, you can definitely take some of the tactics that you learn out west back to the deer that you hunt in Pennsylvania or wherever if you're from out east, mm-hmm. you know, and vice versa. For sure. And I just know, and I'm not talking about guys that have platforms that have been kind of had that mentality I was talking about it seems like it's just guys that consume the content and and do their own thing just individuals out there that I've talked to it's like right. I, I don't know I just I, I feel like it would really be really cool and, and the collaboration that you guys could do would would almost like unify guys across the country to be on the same team instead of kind of an east first west mentality thing and I just think that's gonna be really freaking valuable for the hunting community as a whole to hopefully unify and get everybody on the same page because the, the problems that face us over here are 99% similar to the problems that you guys face over there with access and public lands. We have our timberlands where, you know, we always considered timberlands to be public because you didn't, you know, they pretty much were. 
and now we're starting to get this shit shut down or you have to pay 350 bucks to access this tree farm or to go over here or this is now shut down over here and this road's decommissioned it's just it's just the same things you guys face over there yep it's very similar that's the thing you know the hunter recruitment problem is a big deal in the whitetail communities and like you said the the public lands and the access is is a huge part of that like that's that's actually one of the problems that's causing the hunter recruitment problem. Like people don't have a place to go. Well, then they either drop out or they don't get involved, which is essentially Makes the sense. same problem. You know, I mean, that's, that's what whitetail hunting is kind of turned into for better or worse, whatever you would, you know, I guess it kind of just depends on what your goals are as a deer hunter. But when I was a kid, you could go around the county and get permission to hunt from just about any farmer that was around. And there was, there was some public land then too. And now there's about the same amount of public land as there was then, except there's very little hunting done on permission. So it's all, it's all been marketed and, and either bought or leased. And, you know, then you start to narrow down your access opportunities and folks have to go hunt public land. So what I would like to see, right. you know, out East and in the Midwest is actually an increase in public land an increase in access opportunities. That's really what we're all about is opportunity for folks. Well, I know our ODF and W, um, Oregon department of fish and wildlife, they work with, um, some ranches and landowners to open access and then in, in return, they get work for free, you know, yeah. stuff like that. So, you know, that there's, there's stuff happening out there. I actually did a podcast with a guy from Washington, uh, Washington Backcountry is his platform. And, uh, he is starting or he started this kind of like, kind of like a BHA kind of rendezvous thing, but for guys that are new into hunting that want to learn and he gets guys that are experienced that know how to hunt and he teaches and he brings and introduces them to guys that are wanting to learn how to hunt. And he actually has this group of guys. It sounds like that are willing to share areas or spots and give them the ropes to go out and, and give them the know-how to go out and find their own spots and have success quicker and, and all in hopes of increasing the hunter recruitment and making it, I'm not going to say easier to have success, but to find success quicker um, and kind of do what you're talking about. Like if I was going to get into hunting, yeah. I, first question is where would I go? You know, and, and this kind of solves that. So right. there, there are things that are happening, um, in light of that. And it's really, really motivating and, and makes you think that there is a possibility for us to find a way out of the situation that we're in right now. I agree. There's, there's definitely, definitely some good things happening out there for sure. So, well, so what's, what's next for you guys for, for next year? I know you, we alluded to hunting with the broker. Do you guys have anything coming around the bend or any cool announcements coming out? Uh, we're going to start doing our scouting workshops in February and, I think we're going to do one in Mississippi and Minnesota and potentially out east in Ohio or Pennsylvania. And then uh, from there, we'll move on to our turkey tour, which starts in mid-March. And I believe we'll be hunting in Alabama for the first leg of the tour on public land, which should be super tough, but it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. That's pretty cool. Well, Speaking of scouting, what is uh, what would be for a guy like me who wants to maybe shoot a whitetail? What would be the one of the top states for me to start looking into um, to to find success or have a good chance chance at a whitetail? Well, it all depends on 
probably how uh, how far you want to travel because there's a bunch of really good western states for whitetails like montana wyoming south dakota nebraska you know we just came from arizona hunting coos deer there was a pile of them down there uh i actually think a lot of those western states get overlooked because people are focused on mule deer elk and they're they're not Mm -hmm. thinking about whitetail hunting so consequently they have a large supply of good whitetail hunting and you know there's there's other more traditional i guess whitetail states that are over the counter that off that have tons of public land wisconsin's a good one minnesota's a good one missouri iowa's hunting is good but you gotta wait a really long time to get in there hmm. you know it takes four or five years to draw a tag it's also much more expensive than those other states that i just mentioned so that's crazy. Oklahoma is a, a very overlooked state that is over the counter and is, has some real good access opportunities with, uh, you know, lots of successful hunts each and every year on public land. So there's really a wide, wide variety of them. And as we've hunted them over the years, we've, cause our home states in Iowa, we start comparing these other public areas to Iowa and there's not a huge difference. Iowa's got, better age structure for bucks and probably some just bigger bucks in general. But that's not to say that there's not big bucks in these other States that you can buy over the counter tags with, you know, for example, if you go to Missouri, you got way more public land access in Missouri than you do in Iowa. So you have way more potential opportunity to find a buck that you're wanting to harvest or to get away from people, for example, and those are also important factors. I, I feel like a, a lot of folks that are traveling to hunt whitetails just get stuck in the fact, well, I watched, you know, these guys on TV shoot these big bucks in Iowa. I got to go to Iowa. Well, there's, there's <laughs> big bucks in a lot of states. The biggest buck we killed all fall was in Kentucky. Or, oh, I shouldn't say that. It was in Missouri. And then the second or third biggest buck we killed all fall was in Kentucky. So, hmm. Yeah, and we, we also got a nice one up in Minnesota, and there's there's just a lot of opportunity. You hear guys killing nice bucks out east in, like, Maryland on public land, PA. There's there's just a wide, wide range of whitetail hunting opportunities, just depending on your budget and how far you're wanting to travel. Yeah. Well, what really turned me on was one of the first episodes you guys were using a boat yep. and uh, to go across this lake, and I'm like – that's the coolest shit I've seen on YouTube in a long time. Yep. <laughs> I didn't know guys did that. Like, um, and when I was hunting Idaho this year, uh, using like on X and stuff, which, um, really freaking comes in handy, oh, absolutely. especially when you're hunting out of States. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure you guys use the crap out of that. Um, I was able to find uh, like the parts of the unit are navigating around private property that I never been to before. <laughs> and then I'm like, man, I should have brought waiters to raid across, across this river. And, uh, I ended up finding this guy in the, in his camp. Long story short, after after I found this spot to cross the river and get access into this area, it would have been like a mile versus like a five mile hike. And I'm like, I got to do that. And uh, I met this guy, and I'm like, man, there's a spot up here. If I had waders, I could. And he's like, how did you know that? I was like, what? And he's like, I've lived here my whole life, and only the locals know that. I'm like, huh. Well, thank you, Onyx. Yeah, there you <laughs> like, go. It was just. Yeah, just stuff like that, man, that kind of gives you the edge. But 
it's it's kind of frustrating because I've I've only seen a handful of actual true uh, whitetails in my life, and I say true whitetails because I grew up uh, in Roseburg here with one of the only places you can find Colombian whitetail. Which if you find one that's a hundred pounds, you know that's pretty much a full grown whitetail. Right, hundred and twenty is a pretty big size. Those whitetail. things are pretty rare, Colombian. aren't they? Aren't isn't it tough to get those tags? Um, for an, for a non-resident, it would be pretty tough. If you're willing to wait two or three years, uh, you, you can get a tag. Um, I and I live, you know, 20 minutes from one of the best whitetail spots, uh, for Columbia whitetail period. I see. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, I've thought about it just, just, uh, but I don't want to just have to do it to, to cross it off my list. Cause I, I really love mule deer hunting, man. It's, it's one of my favorite and blacktail. I, uh, I enjoy blacktail hunting, but mule deer is, it's, that's my hot spot. And, uh, but these, these Colombian whitetails just, <laughs> well, long story short, my dad grew up hating Colombian whitetails because they were on the endangered species list and we couldn't hunt them. So they're just a trash animal. Like they don't taste good. You know, like how do you even know? Right. <laughs> and, and, uh, so he just convinced, you know, convinced all of us that whitetail were no good. And, and, <laughs> and uh, now that we can hunt them, it's like, huh? <laughs> yeah. And you know, they've only been huntable for, I don't know, maybe eight to 10 years. I, I mean, maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, but you know they they're they're back when I remember when they became legal to hunt. You know you killed a freaking dink, it would make the record books. Right. <laughs> so that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, we have I kind of have a chip on my shoulder with with whitetail here locally because I don't want to have to to bite the bullet and actually spend my points away from mule deer uh, to have to hunt one of these things. Right. <laughs> so. But uh, yeah, if you guys want to hunt a, Colum- a Colombian whitetail deer, uh, shoot, I- I'm your I'm your huckleberry there because I know right where they're at. I'd say that's gonna but, be on. That's definitely on the bucket list here at some point. Is it really? Well, yeah. it's it would be uh, it would be a challenge, but it would be uh, you give me like three or four days with a rifle, we could get you a pretty stud buck um, <laughs> for sure. I mean, yeah. Uh, but with a bow, uh, I know some guys that have struck out a few times on them. I actually drew the whitetail blacktail tag uh, back when I was a, I don't know, must have been 16. And uh, it was one of the first, God, you know, actually it's probably been 15 years that whitetail had been legal because it was a few years after it became legal. And uh, long story short, I'm like dead set on killing a, a Colombian whitetail deer. And, uh, you know, we kept seeing these big 18 to 20 inch Colombian whitetail deer, wide whitetail deer. You know, 115 inch Columbia is freaking huge, and uh, basically couldn't find one. They're all about 60 to 70 inches, and I'm like, man, you know, young young kid looking for a big buck, and then this 18 inch fork and horn blacktail walks out, and I'm like, I I'd be an idiot, idiot not to shoot that. And long, I just wish I would have filled filled that tag with a white tail because I'm still talking about that shit today. <laughs> <laughs> They're fun little creatures. But, I know uh, that. It, well, they are so much more aggressive than our blacktail. Um, I have a buddy who guides for the Colombians over here, and he says a little 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 uh, Colombian will kick the shit out of a full-grown blacktail, you know, 150-pound, 160-pound blacktail. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and we're talking, you know, they're, they're a, a third of the size, to, you know, of a full-grown blacktail. Yeah. It's just crazy how much more aggressive they are. Yeah. But uh, – well, is there any any closing thoughts here, Aaron? Before we wrap this thing up, I know you got to get going, but um, any anything you want to say before we get out of here? Any links that people can go to check out your stuff? Oh uh, yeah, you can find everything we do um, at the Hunting Public on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We uh, 
we turn out a lot of content on all those platforms. We also have a podcast on iTunes at the hunting public as well. So yeah, just follow us there and let us know how your hunts are going. Perfect, man. Well, Hey, I really appreciate your time. I know it was kind of a snafu getting us to, to hook up on this podcast, but I appreciate you making it work and, uh, I'm sure we'll be, uh, hopefully working together, uh, soon someday. Sounds great, man. Thanks for having me on. All right. Take care, Aaron. See ya. Take care. All right, guys, what do you think? A lot of whitetail stuff on this one. Definitely appreciate Aaron's insights and tips on what states to go to. And I think he nailed it. You know, a lot of states have great uh, great whitetail opportunities, and it's just a matter of picking which one uh, you're willing to travel to and which one you want, what kind of experience you want. So uh, thanks, Aaron, for coming on to the show. Thank you for listening to the podcast, uh, continuing to grow, continuing to upload, and uh, just work, work, work. Just grinding and growing, guys, and uh, glad that you guys are joining along the journey with me. So as always, we'll see you on the next one. Bye.